You're listening to a Thorn Creek Weekend Message Podcast. For more audio content and other resources, visit thorncreek.church messages. Jesus, thank you for your grace and your love. Thank you for your presence. And I ask God that you just move in and through me uh, according to your Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, move in me for your will. We need to hear a word from you. Some of us are here and have had tough weeks, and others have been at great weeks. Wherever we're at, Lord, you know, this is a divine appointment. And um, everyone is here on purpose. You brought them here to this church to give everyone a message, Lord, a word, a word from you, God. There's nothing else that will satisfy our soul than a word from you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Persecution. For some of you, persecution is kind of like what you just saw on the screen. And uh, persecution for you is you waited 10 minutes in line at Starbucks or something. And, and, uh, or persecution for you is you come to church and there's no air conditioning or whatever it might be. Or, or I remember the early days when I had a, a car, I, I still have a car, but I had a car without AC. Anybody have a car without AC? In the month of July in South Texas, it's especially trying and testing, and, and, and you go through it and, and that kind of thing. Um, <clears throat> persecution in, in Acts, we're going through this series called Unleashed, and in the book of Acts, it just looks very different from what you might define persecution today. I want to start off with this quote from C.S. Lewis. He said this, you never know how much you really believe anything until its truth or falsehood becomes a matter of life and death to you. What are you willing to die for? What are you willing to die for? Now, I'm talking about beliefs, so parents don't think about your kids. I'm talking about beliefs, your convictions. What are you willing to die for? I think part of our, our, our challenge in our culture today is the truth is there may not be anything we're willing to die for. Some of us can go through life and not have a conviction that we're willing to die for. You know what I'm saying? Some of us can go through life and say, I believe in this, I, I have faith in this, and this is what I do on Sundays, and you wouldn't, let me show you my, my ID, you know, let me show you what I believe in, but am I willing to die for what I believe? We live in a culture where typically our faith is not a matter of life and death. But if we lived in another part of the world, it would be very different. Here's the 10 worst nations for Christians. According to Christianity Today, this comes from a, 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 survey or a research in 2018. But the top ones are North Korea, Afghanistan, Somalia, and Sudan. North Korea, I have a pastor friend who is in this area in a, 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 a you know, non-disclosed place, location, and, and he told me a story about this, uh, you know, there's these underground churches, so you wouldn't go to a school like this, you would go to an underground church, maybe a house church, maybe a basement in a house or something like that, and uh, there was someone who got saved, someone who put their faith in Jesus, and after they put their faith in Jesus, they told, uh, they started going into a house church, and then they told the pastor there, I feel a calling to be a pastor, a calling to go into full-time ministry. So that pastor uh, helped him along his way, and he actually even took courses, uh, Bible courses, and then he started connecting with other underground pastors. And after about three years or so, 
it was disclosed that the whole thing was a fake. And he got all those names of everyone he learned and he turned them in uh, to, to government officials. We don't know that kind of life. We don't know that kind of life. The kind of life where someone is literally persecuted. Around 215 million Christians face significant levels of persecution in the world today. And, and you see it. In fact, it's illegal to be a Christian in North Korea, and Christians are often sent to labor camps or killed if they are discovered. And it's part of their identity. It's part of their identity. In some countries, you have to put down your, your religion if you have one, and if you're not Islam, uh, if, you're, if you're a Christian, you have to go and you have to get a new ID and tell them, this is what I am now. And when you do that, it's like you have a mark on you. You, you are a target from then on. This is, this is what it's like. A Christian pastor in India was left in a coma after being beaten, and he was told, you must never come to our village to pray. You should never enter our village uh, there. Jesus said this in John chapter 15, remember the, wor- what, remember the word that I said to you, a slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. So when it comes to Christian persecution, we hear about these stories, but it's hard to identify, right? It's hard to identify with going to church today is life-threatening. It's hard to identify with those moments. But there's a different type of Christian persecution in America. Traditional values are continuously trying to be removed from America over and over beliefs that are found in the Bible that have been part of our country for years. For example, a Christian baker refusing to bake cakes for a same-sex wedding. Or those people that have stood up for what they have believed in have, have received a huge negative publicity. There have been attempts to remove all traces of God from our government. The words under God in our Pledge of Allegiance is constantly attacked. In God we trust that phrase on our money is over and over attacked. Campuses, high school campuses, college campuses, elementary schools, middle schools, over and over and over, there is an attack on prayer, on Bible, on, on anything like that, those kinds of values. Um, you see that over and over. Jeff King said this, persecution in the U.S. isn't comparable to overseas, yet there have been too many Christians fired or sued and too many negative court cases and laws to miss a clear trend. Most governments don't publicly declare their hostility toward religion. They use laws like zoning or employment to push it out of the public square. And then listen to this. I think there's so much truth to this. Religious freedom in the U.S. is being pushed toward private expression. You can be a Christian... Just keep it to yourself. Private expression. If it offends me, you're in trouble. If my feelings are hurt, you're in trouble. If, you, if you're not tolerant of me, if you're not, whatever. Private expression is where it's pushed. And I think the challenge for Christians is, is you feel that push. You know, you have the Great Commission and, and you look at Acts and, and, and you see there's witnesses and this kind of thing. And when you're pushed, you kind of settle to this place where, you know what, I'm going to privately believe this. I'm going to keep it to myself. That's not the way it was in Acts. It's not just not the way it was. I believe God gives all of us opportunities 
to tell others what he has done in our life. God gives you opportunities to tell others. There's souls around you that need Jesus. There's broken souls. There's couples that are going through divorce. There's people who are contemplating suicide, people who are living in spiritually dark places. And God places you in those circles for a purpose. God still is changing lives. Jesus is still transforming lives. Acts. We're in Acts. Last week, I talked about a story in chapter 7 involving the stoning of a guy named Stephen. And Stephen in chapter 7 is, is stoned. <laughs> a different stone from Colorado Stone, right? He is stoned. It's a horrible, horrible, horrible death. And, and the story uh, behind this, from Acts chapter 1 to chapter 7, is all about the church being established in Jerusalem. Chapter 1 through chapter 7, it's about the church being established in Jerusalem. And in chapter 7, the innocence of Christianity is somewhat lost because everyone is enjoying this community of doing life together, and there's a oneness in Christ, and the Holy Spirit comes on the disciples in Acts chapter 2, and it's a global gospel, and there's a lot of energy and excitement. But in chapter 7, you've run across the first martyr for Christianity, and it's Stephen. And when that happens, chapter 8 is like a whole new book. All of a sudden, from then on, it takes courage to be a Christian. Because everyone knows after Stephen, if I tell someone I'm a Christian, there's a good chance I could die. Literally, I could die. So it challenged their faith. Am I really a Christian? Am I really a Christian? It's a good question for ask us. If your life was in danger for coming to church, would you be at church right now? Would you consider yourself a Christian if, if, if your life was in danger? Eight, Acts chapter 8, verse 1. <clears throat> so in Acts chapter 8, from Acts chapter 8 through Acts chapter 12, it's all about the church being scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. And verse 1 is this, like a, like a hinge verse. It says, And Saul approved of their killing him, that's referring to Stephen, on that day, on that day, a great persecution broke out. And it broke out against the church in Jerusalem. Remember, that's where they were established and all except the apostles were, what church were? Scattered. And they were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. This verse right here is just like the unleashing, the unleashing of the church. Because it was all around Jerusalem up to this point. But chapter 8, because of persecution, they're scattered. Now, they're scattered but they're still a Christian. They're scattered, but they still believe in Jesus. They're scattered, but they still worship him and believe he rose from the grave. And they're telling everyone about Jesus. And this persecution, this persecution actually pushes the gospel out. I want to say it this way. Persecution may push you, but God will use you. Sometimes we go through hard times in life. Maybe it's a situation at work that's not going well. You know, have you ever felt like you're being pushed out? You're being pushed out? When we were, uh, 
<coughs> it used to be Auto Troll, which is now Westgate School on Washington. Um, it was sold, and the new owners came in, Westgate School, and under their contract with their lender, they were not allowed to rent to a church. At least that's what we were told. And we were essentially pushed out. We had like three weeks to get out of that building. How many of you were here during those days? Yeah, we were pushed out. We had the biggest yard sale in all of North Denver. And uh, we were pushed out. But if it wasn't for that, we never would have moved out to this other place. We, moved, we had a, a building, a little building on Cottonwood Lakes Boulevard and 120th. And we went there. And we, we, when we went there, it was very confusing. Have you ever been pushed out and wondering what's going on? Why is this happening to me? That's what was happening to us as a church. And we went to this little building, and it wasn't as new as our last building. It was much smaller than our last building. And sometimes you wonder, like, God, what are you doing? I feel like we're getting demoted. I feel like we're putting, we're, we're on timeout or something. God, I don't understand why this is happening. And we got into that little building and it became our offices. And right across the parking lot was a school, which used to be where the Stargate school used to be, which is now the Catholic school, or yeah, Catholic school there. But we started doing church in that, in that, in that Stargate school. And we had that little building, which we weren't incredibly fond of early on. But God had a plan. God had a plan. We ended up buying that little building. And then we ended up selling that building for $690,000. And we used that money to buy property on Washington for $700,000. It's now worth between $6 million to $12 million. But that never would have happened if we weren't pushed out. When we were pushed out, we were forced to be in a situation. And then when we were over here at this other Catholic Catholic one, it was, it was Stargate, and we were trying to stay there, but the Catholic school wanted that building for their purposes, which is fine, and we were pushed out. So where do we go? Prairie Hills Elementary School, pushed out. Now we're here at Prairie Hills Elementary School, and, and, and we appreciate them very much, but it's become very, very clear that it's difficult for the school to have a church here with their purposes and our purposes. So again, we're feeling pushed out. I contact a friend, and one thing led to another. Next thing you know is we're going into Mission Tray Shopping Center, and we're going to use this wonderful church space for a period of three to six years. But here's what I'm saying. When you feel pushed out, whether it's a job or maybe it's a friendship or whatever it is, put your faith in God. Trust God. God has your future. He will take care of you. And sometimes he uses things like that because he says, you're getting too comfortable. I have a plan for you. And I want you to grow. And I want you, I, you know, God did not call us to comfort. God called the Christians to discomfort. God called the Christians to deny themselves, take up the cross, and follow him. So you trust God. When circumstances don't line up, don't have to stress about it. You put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And one of the places that, that this, this uh, church was scattered, when you read in Acts chapter 8, one of the places was Samaria, Judea and Samaria. Samaria you see over and over and over in Scripture. In fact, there's a famous story in the Gospel of John chapter 4 about Samaria. And it involved a Samaritan woman. When Jesus was doing his ministry and going around teaching and, and, and doing miracles, there was this one time where he goes up to this well and he sees this woman drawing water from her well and he starts having a conversation and Jews are not supposed to have conversations 
with Samaritans. They're half-breeds. You're not supposed to, but Jesus loves everyone. It doesn't matter what color of skin or where you come from or what neighborhood you come from. He loves everyone. So he starts having this conversation with this woman, and, and, then, and then he starts telling her everything about her life, how many men she's been with, how many men she's slept with, and her whole life. And, and then he says, do you want some water, some living water? And she is so struck by this conversation, she lives in Samaria, and in John chapter 4, verse 39, it says, many Samaritans from the village believed in Jesus because the woman had said, he told me everything I ever did. So it's like this, this Jesus is planting the seed. I, you know what I love about this story? Is it only takes one. God used this woman, changed her life, and this one woman, in fact, an entire, impacts an entire region. It only takes one. It only takes one person in the home to change the home. It's one person that says, Jesus, I want all of you. It's only one. You only, he only needs one. It's only one spouse. He starts with one spouse and it'll spread. It only takes one person in that company, in that branch, wherever you're at on that team. It only takes one. He just needs one person to say, Jesus, Start with me. That's God's strategy over and over. That's what he does. He transforms lives. It takes one. Someone once said, one man with a conviction is worth more than a thousand with an interest. It only takes one. So you have one person that falls to their knees and says, Jesus, I surrender. I give you my life, and God can use you. He can use you in your home. He can use you in your marriage. He can use you in your friend circle. Wherever you're at, it only takes one. And you see this. You read it again. We're going to talk a little bit later about an Ethiopian. Same thing with the Ethiopian. Same thing. There was a revival and a spiritual renewal that happened in Africa because of that Ethiopian. Here, the Samaritan woman in John chapter 4, she comes to know Jesus. And after Pentecost in Acts chapter 8, the church is scattered because of persecution. And what do the disciples do? Maybe not even thinking about it, is they go to complete what God has started. See, God has a plan. God has a plan. For some of you, you're in relationships right now with someone else, but God has a plan. God has been working on that friend or that family member, and he's been stirring their soul, and God's going to intersect you with them at the right time, and he wants to use you to show them his love and his grace and his mercy. He has a plan. He loves, loves, loves people. So Acts chapter 8, verse 1. It's a hinge verse. <clears throat> Tertullian, who was an early Christian author in the Roman province of Africa, he said this, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. The blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. <clears throat> I think some, God calls some people to be Stephens. God needs Christians who are bold, who are courageous, who are willing to die for their faith. God needs Christians who are willing to say, Jesus, do you know Jesus? Do you know who he is? You love people, but the gospel is love and truth combined. It's love and truth combined. When you keep reading Acts chapter 8, verse 2, it says this, Godly man buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them in 
prison. Tough time. The scattering happens. Something else that happens with persecution, when you are in it, you kind of feel like the bad guys won. I'm fleeing. I'm leaving. I'm leaving the job. I'm, I'm leaving the relationship. I'm leaving. You know, the persecution, the bad guys won. But that's not what happens here. The bad guys didn't win. Because of persecution, the gospel multiplied. The gospel was spread. In Acts chapter 11, it says this, Meanwhile, the believers who had been scattered during the persecution after Stephen's death traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch of Syria. They preached the word of God, but only to Jews, because at this time, it was a, Jew, it was a gospel for Jews at this time, until chapter 10. However, some of the believers who went to Antioch from Cyprus and Cyrene began preaching to the Gentiles the non-Jews, about the Lord Jesus. Because of the persecution of Stephen, the church scatters, and now because they scatter, Gentiles hear the gospel for the first time. The power of the Lord was with them, and a large number of these Gentiles believed and turned to the Lord. It's beautiful how God uses everything for his glory, for his kingdom. On the other side of Satan's persecution is God's redemption. It's God's redemption. It's God's redemption. I, I didn't share this last night, but Pastor Nick has a phenomenal God story in his life. You know, he, he came here when he was around seventh, seventh grade and and uh, as a teenager, and he was tricked into coming to church by his friends, and uh, literally tricked. And uh, uh, I know his story. I had the incredible honor to lay my hands on him at the ordination service and, and pray for him. And part of my prayer is, God, I, I know there's a trail of redemption behind this young man. There's a trail of redemption. And I know the story quite a bit, quite a bit of the story. I think about how God redeems, he restores, and God, is, God loves to redeem. He loves to restore. He brings healing. He can do all of those things. He just wants you to give yourself completely to him. Paul said this in Corinthians. He said, that is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses and insults and hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, what church? Then I am strong. You look at persecutions differently and you recognize it's just something I'm going through. Paul says later in Timothy, he says, yes, and everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. That means you're going to have hard days and you're going to have really hard days and you're going to be challenged and maybe even your life, maybe even your life is in jeopardy. Here in Colorado, you might know this story. She was 17 years old and he stood glaring at her, his weapon before her face. Do you believe in God? She paused. It was a life or death question. Yes, I believe in God. Why? Asked her executioner. But he never gave her the chance to respond. And the teenage girl lay dead at her feet. Where's that from, guys? What school? Columbine, right? <clears throat> God has, you were God's missionary. If you call yourself a Christian, 
You are God's missionary. God wants to use you in the circle that he has you. Don't be afraid to tell someone about Jesus. It's the best news they will hear. It's the best news. Tell that friend or family member, if the Lord gives you that window of opportunity, tell that person you work with. Remember when I was in, in San Antonio, I was just growing in my faith and, and I was working at this telemarketing company and there was someone that was sitting down by me in the break room. And I was just learning to share my faith. It was brand new. And uh, I, didn't, I didn't know the Roman road or the four spiritual laws. I didn't know any of that stuff. I just knew Jesus was real and he changed my life. And I remember I was in the break room with her and uh, I, I said this little prayer. I said, God, if you want me to share my faith with this woman, give me an opportunity. And she turns to me at that moment, right after I said that prayer, and she says, hey, Reuben, what radio station do you listen to? At that time, I listened to this Christian radio. Now I listen to sports radio. But at that time, I was listening to Christian radio. And I told her I listened to Christian radio. And I, and I started telling her about my faith. Sometimes we can let fear grip us so much that we become paralyzed, impotent Christians. Where we don't share what God wants us to share because we're so concerned. We're so concerned about how that person may, may feel. But, oh, the joy of the one whose sins are forgiven. Oh, the home that could be transformed. All you have to do is plant the seed and God will take care of the rest. All you have to do is plant that seed Hey, God loves you. All you have to do is plant the seed and let God take care of the rest. Well, uh, let's be that Acts chapter 8 church. I don't want you to scatter. But let's scatter in our areas. We all have Judeas and Samarias in our life. Let's be faithful to what God has called us to be. Think in things of eternal, with eternal value. We're just passing through this, this world. Our life is short. Live life for Jesus. It's the best life. Uh, let's pray. God, thank you for your grace. Thank you for your love. And we humble ourselves before you. And Lord, I read about this stuff here in Acts, and sometimes, God, I just feel like those guys are just super Christians, and it just feels like they're just so much, just a whole different level. And uh, I pray, Lord, first of all, that, at, that Thorn Creek Church becomes more and more and more this Acts church, where we can go toe-to-toe, with their passion, their love for you, Jesus. My prayer, God, is you move in Thorn Creek just like you did in the early church. May people be healed and may people come to know you and may those who are hungry get fed and, and those who are naked clothed. And God, I just pray for that. I pray that every life here experiences the power of your Holy Spirit. Change every heart for you. Transform. I don't want to be a church full of comfortable Christians. I don't want to be a comfortable Christian. I don't want to be a church that strives to be for comfort, God. Use us, God, any way you want. Maybe that needs to be your prayer. Jesus, use me. Just tell them, make that your prayer. Jesus, use me. If you're far from God, God brought you to this church for a reason, and if maybe you're ready to receive Jesus Christ into your life, would you just say this prayer? Say, Jesus, come into my heart. Be my Lord and Savior. Forgive me for my sins. This morning I choose to live for you. Thank you, God, for your presence. We love you. It's in your name, Jesus, we pray. 
Amen. Amen. Each year, thousands of Thorn Creek Church messages are downloaded for free. This ministry is generously supported by Thorn Creek Church members and listeners like you. If you'd like to support this ministry, please consider making a tax-deductible donation by visiting thorncreek.church/give.